0: Trade Efficiency with NACFI's Mike friends. Here in Episode 22, Denise Rondini joins me. She's NACFI's Communications Director and President of Rondini Communications. We talk about the importance of clear, direct communication, the best way to tell your company's story, why businesses need to control their own narratives, and offers comments on how the trucking industry is doing in its diversity efforts and in handling disruptive technologies. Today we have joining me Denise Rondini, president of Rondini Communications, and she's also NAXD's director of communications. So hello Denise. Thanks for joining me today. And this is probably a little strange being on the other side of the mic.
1: It's very strange, Mike, but thanks for having me.
0: I suppose we've been friends for I don't know, maybe eight or so years. I, I think NAXI's been around eleven and you um you certainly uh been on part of most all of it. I think you are the first person NAXP brought on as sort of an ongoing leader for us. And I recall asking NACV's board of directors, you know, I said, hey, does anybody know of somebody uh, that can help us with our communications? Do you remember what happened?
1: So, Because of my background as editor of magazine in the trucking industry, I knew Kyle Treadway, who's a NACV board member. And Kyle and I had a long history because he was a truck dealer and I was the editor of a truck dealer magazine. So I think Kyle was the one who recommended me. Uh, and we started together in May of 2014 and I started out actually just on a short-term contract to do website work for Nacfi but then um i i'm also doing a really good job because by November of that year i was i was hired on a long-term contract to do uh be, to help with Nacfi's communications
0: that makes it sense i remember now um and you know Kyle's kind of a he's a very gentlemanly guy and he's always very professional but I remember uh, of all the times I've talked to Kyle, both before I j- I started Naxi and after, he uh, he might have been as blunt with me about you as anybody or anything. He said, go get her. We need her. Naxi.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but so how did you get into the uh, career in trucking? Was it through the trucking angle or the journalism angle? Tell us about your career.
1: Yeah, so when I was growing up, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but my career path was to be the next Woodward and Bernstein, which tells you a little bit about how old I am. Um, But those jobs weren't available when I graduated from journalism school. Um, And I moved to Chicago to discover that uh, right around the time I got there, one of the three daily newspapers had closed. So while my desire had been to work on a daily newspaper, there just weren't any jobs. So I answered an ad, for uh, a blind ad for a, what turned out to be a construction magazine. And at that time, I didn't even know about business-to-business publications. But I went to work for a magazine called Highway and Heavy Construction, uh, which was kind of cool because my dad was in the instruction industry in a very small way, but there was some connection there. And I stayed there for four years, and then I heard about an opening um, for a full editor position on a magazines in, magazine in the trucking industry, so I made the switch over to trucking um, back in 1982. Um, and so that was kind of how I got into the trucking side of things.
0: And you just always stayed in Chicago then,
1: huh? Yep, I stayed in Chicago and stayed in trucking even after um, getting laid off in 2012 from my uh, from my job uh, as a journalist. Uh, then I started my own communications business, Rondini Communications. And I would say today that 90% of my clients are in the trucking industry, including Natsu.
0: And so you've been doing this work from work from home or work, uh, kind of remotely for a long time, I've gathered, because there's no, there isn't really any trucking magazines based in Chicago, right?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, not anymore. The the ones I worked for were uh, were and then got, then got bought by a company in Alabama, uh, but I worked from home then. So yeah, I've been working from home for a long time. So, you know, I need two things to do my job, a telephone and a computer, so I can pretty <laughs> much do it from anywhere.
0: I'm curious about this, and I'm not sure I've ever asked you this in our hundreds if not thousands of of hours talking right um but did you know about maxi maxi before i contacted you or uh you know if you didn't no worries but what was some of your first thoughts when when you um when you started working with us and understood kind of what we were to bring to the market
1: yeah i was not aware of NACV when when i heard from you but but i think One of the things that I like about uh, the work I do for NACVI and liked it right from the beginning is um, I see it as a chance for me to give back to an industry that has given a lot to me. I mean, I sort of look at my NACVI work as my legacy, work just because of the kinds of things we're doing and trying to improve the industry and and help people you know figure out their freight efficiency and how to to operate both efficiently and profitably and so i I feel like that's my give back for an industry that really has been incredibly good to me
0: so i want to spend some time here uh talking about you know sort of basic storytelling um and you know because i think that's that's really important uh to not only you know, we see it all the time, right? Somebody has a really good idea, but if they can't share it, talk about it, um, you know, make it come to life, they're probably in trouble and, and we, we need good ideas. What do you think uh, makes a good story? Uh, uh, you know, and, and maybe in particularly a good short story, because there's a lot of articles uh, that, you know, that we put out and that is important for these companies to, to tell their story. So how do you, how do you do a good story? And then maybe how do you make it short?
1: Yeah, so I think you actually have to have something to say, right? So some people think that, you know, they have to communicate on a certain cadence. And the reality is, you know, you should just communicate when you actually have something to share with people. That's meaningful not just for your company but to your constituents and maybe to a bigger industry. I think those are things that that people want to see, that kind of connectedness. And I think you have to be genuine in the telling of the story and not – you know, be honest about what you what your accomplishments are. You know, don't try to inflate them, and be careful about the language that you use. Um, you know, I jokingly say the purpose of communications is to communicate, and so it's not to impress people with the big words. You know, um, it it really is to get to get across a point, um, and so you know you need to tailor your message to the audience that you're trying to reach. And so you need to define that from the very beginning. Who are you trying to reach? And if you're trying to convince them of something, what it is you're trying to convince them of. So, and, then, and then just say it in as few words as possible. And I know that's really hard for people because we all went to school and what were our writing assignments? They always had some word length to them, right? I need a five-page paper as we got further in our, our education. You know, I need a 50-page 50, 50 paper. And so people sort of thought that they have to write to a certain length. And my argument is you need to write till you're done saying what you need to say. And sometimes that's 50 words and sometimes it's 500 words and sometimes it's 5,000 words. But say, say what you have to say, you know, in the most succinct language possible and then be done with it. Don't feel like you need to go back and embellish because it's only 250 words and you wanted to write 500 words.
0: So do we generally go too long and try to tell too much? And so, you know, I had one item boss early in my career, uh, almost always tell me whatever I was bringing to him that you know, to cut it in half, whether it was a presentation or something. He's like, Okay, good, Mike, but cut it in half, cut it in half. And I remember hearing that constantly. So uh, is it? uh, I'm sure everyone's different, Denise. But is it often that we, we talk too much, write too much, present too much?
1: Yeah, I mean it's easier to write long than to write short because you don't have to be as precise in your in your word choice and every word matters less when you have more words to say. So I think when you only have 300 words, like you have to very carefully choose the exact right word to use, um, and and so I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. That you you know people just it's it's, it's easier to write long. Writing short, believe it or not, is much harder
0: yeah yeah I, I i get that um but I think it it back to your point around um making your story heard the simpler and the shorter probably is re- really really good advice um you know over your career, i think you know and we've got some we're about the same age we've got similar lengths of our career uh you know now with um the internet and so forth, i mean everybody can be a reporter right everybody can publish with a blog or with, uh, even a, uh, you know, a post or something. So, um, do you see people or do you cringe every day at people jumping too quick to put stuff out there? I mean, what, what's the dangers of, of that, you know, not having maybe somebody look over their shoulders or even taking some time to think about what they're, what they're putting out there. Any advice there for all of us?
1: yeah I think because everybody knows how to write to some extent, everybody fancies themselves a writer, and it's it is a skill you know and and some of us are more skilled at that than others, but I don't think people look at it that way. everyone's like, well, I've written papers before, so i I can write um and I think people tend to get caught up in um not be not using clear language and in using jargon, you know lots of acronyms throat being thrown around that they assume that other people understand, which I do think is a common mistake that people make, um, that we assume everybody has the same knowledge base that we do, and that's not true, right? So the clearer we can be and the more we can explain and not, not try to act like we have like some secret society with special words that we, that we use, and every industry has them. But I think, it's, I think a good writer makes sure that whoever picks up our piece will, will be able to understand it and won't feel like they're on the outside because we're using language they can't understand.
0: You've covered the trucking industry a lot, and, um, you know, you've probably been to a lot of press conferences. And I remember I had a little experience with press conferences back when I was at Navistar. And here at NACSI, we do a lot of them because we're, you know, putting out such, such information. So, and you, you know, you've given us some good things to think about uh, around press conferences, whether they're trucking events or phone calls or now Zoom. You know, what separates a good press event from a bad one in your experience?
1: yeah I think it comes back to this to the same thing that makes good a good piece of writing good is like having actual news to share you know I think people get caught up because um especially when editors are on one place like at a like at a trucking show, people think oh they're all here let's let's get them they're already here, so let's get them together but I sat through too many press conferences where you you end up leaving shaking your head about why was I here there was no new news. Uh, you know, might be something minor like, well, this year the widget's on the left side of the engine and last year it was on the right side of the engine. So I think you need to, when you gather people together, make sure that, that what you have to say is actually something, a big announcement. Uh, you know, smaller announcements can be handled through press releases or emails, but when, when you gather people together, make sure that you have something of importance to say. Um, and then, you know, don't just read from the press release to them. You know, have something... To add to what you're already going to hand them you know in the written press release, have some additional information, have experts there who can answer questions um, and be open with them when they when when they ask a question you know don't don't try to jab them with marketing speak but but speak to them about the reality of either if you're doing a product, what your product can do, or you know you're you're going into some uh program what you hope to accomplish and what you know what you anticipate some pitfalls might be.
0: You know, today, uh speed, you know, editing and reporting speed, I mean I'm you know, I you and I've chatted about this before, you know, ten, twenty years ago you went to a press event maybe as a you know, as an editor and then you wrote the article on the plane home or you you know, the following week, you had some time uh to do it. Now with everything so rushed, I see the I see the editors writing their Story while I'm up there on the podium talking and, and taking pictures themselves and all that so what are the latest dynamics you know put us in your shoes when you're out there or, or you know someone from uh, any of these uh, magazines or how do you do your work at or after a press event?
1: Yeah I mean I think you're right I think we do see people just you know writing stuff on the fly and that I think one of the things we've lost in this we have to post something immediately is kind of the analysis. Um, I think we see less of that maybe uh, and more kind of just reporting on what was announced rather than getting in a little deeper. I, we see some of it and I would like I would like to see more of it because I think that's where the real benefit to the industry comes in. Is the, the editors can look past just the surface of the announcement and make a connection, uh, you know, from a variety of things they've seen going on. But, you know, the reality is they're under pressure to, write a story, you know, tweet during the event, put something on Facebook, take a video. So it's, the job of the editor is like so different when I was an editor where we would just go and write stuff. Now it's, you know, they have to have photography skills and video skills and all of this other stuff. So their jobs have become incredibly intense. So I think anything that um, somebody who's given precedent can do to make their jobs easier is a benefit.
0: Yeah, and so maybe that's good uh, for us to think about those companies uh, that are preparing information for the press event. Maybe get them the artwork ahead of time, some of the graphics ahead of time. Know that they're going to be extremely pressed for for time and maybe help, uh, help help out with that some. You know, one real challenge that I learned kind of the hard way and then, um, you, you know, over time is when, you know, there's been times where I've been up at the podium, and I've seen this with other press events as well, where um, there are no questions and, and maybe it's because the it wasn't all that newsworthy or d- do sometimes, uh, you know, editors not want to ask a question because they're worried that they'll kind of, I know this isn't, um, you know, um, hot celebrity gossip news here, <laughs> but do they, do they ever worry that uh, by asking a question, they might tip their hat as to, you know, kind of an angle they're doing in a story. And, and if there are no questions, so if you're a, you know, a, a manufacturer and you have a press event and there are actually no questions. Is there some tricks to, to handle that uh, better than I've, I've seen some actually be kind of failures.
1: Yeah. I mean, just cause there's no questions, it doesn't mean that it was a bad press event. Like it could be like, you're the 15th press conference they've been to in, you know, four or five hours and it could just be like, they're just exhausted. Um, it could be that you did such a good job of presenting your material that there aren't any questions, or it could be that they want to speak to you privately. So I think it's always good at the end of a press event to make sure the people the people presenting and other people on staff are around to answer questions and to make themselves accessible to the editors in case they do want to ask. They may be working on a story that's, uh, you know, and they heard something in your in your remarks that they want to use in, in, in a different story, not necessarily to report about what took place at the press conference. So um, I don't think you should like, take it personally. It could be for a, for a number of reasons why there aren't any questions. And sometimes it is that there's no, there was no story there, um, and so there's, there's no questions asked. But I think just the, if, if there are no questions, just make sure that you're kind of uh, available and milling around after yeah. the event in case people have questions
0: yeah one thing I did once that really worked well. I've probably done it many more times is um you know probably you advise me to bring an expert along so you know I may have a fleet leader along with me or something. and if there are no questions, I'll just ask the person I brought expert I brought a question, and then sometimes that that um you know kicks off and and starts to gain some more questions or at least gives someone else a, a chance to talk. um any advice you'd have for you know company executives with respect to the communications groups? You know, inside of their companies, I know um, that's always, uh, you know, a challenging part of all this.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things is there's there are several well-known companies in the trucking industry who almost never want to go on the record. Um, and I think that's a big mistake because your story is going to get told. The narrative is going to happen. And to me, you know, you, you I want to be in control of the narrative. You know, there, there's an old saying that says, until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. And I think that means if you don't tell your story, someone else is going to tell it for you, right? And they're going to tell it in a way that makes you look bad or that makes them look better. So I think executives who shy away from going on the record aren't doing their companies any any, you know, any favors. I mean, I don't think you want to give away your company's secrets, but but there's not as many secrets and as people would like us to think there are. We all have access to similar information. So I think it's just engaging in the industry that you're in and recognizing that the media is part of the trucking industry. They're not the enemy of of, uh, the trucking industry. You know, these editors who are in trucking now, many of them have been in it for many years. Many of them have their commercial driver's license. So they, they're aware of what it's like to drive a truck. Um, They're not out here to pillory anybody. They're really here. I mean, business, business journalism is different than, you know, what the New York times or the Chicago tribune does, right? It's really a much more, um, advocacy kind of relationship. So, I, I, people who don't want to speak to the media, the trucking media, I, I don't, I don't think are doing themselves any favors.
0: Yeah, and I would, I would echo that it's a great group of people. And you know, there are, are new people coming to the trucking press all the time, but there are obviously some that, you know, I've been in it a long time. And um, you know, it is one where if you're up front and honest, they'll help you tell your story really well. So that's good advice. Hey uh we got a little bit of time yet and I want to get into a couple of more subjects. Um I want to talk about diversity in trucking and then a little bit about your thoughts around how ready this industry is for a lot of technology change. Um but let's start with diversity. This is traditionally a you know a real male dominated business when it starts from truck drivers all the way up through the ranks and and um just in, in your experience I mean how are we doing? As an industry around diversity, and particularly with um uh, being you know exciting, inviting, and you know and taking advantage of the skills that women bring to to any of these jobs,
1: yeah, I mean, I think we're making progress. we've certainly come a long way since nineteen eighty two and I literally remember being the only woman at an event um so we so we have made progress um i think I think we're making progress more quickly now, I think the whole you know diversity and inclusion equity issue is now being raised, people are, are, are big corporations are dedicating positions, uh, high level positions, you know, diversity officers or, you know, whole departments to it and recognizing that there is a value to the organization to to have a diverse workforce, you know, it's more creative, better at problem solving, um, and, you know, the younger generation is insisting on this. I mean, this is this is one of the things... Uh, that they're very passionate about. So I think trucking is making progress. I mean, you you still go to meetings, and there's still way too many of us with gray hair, men and women, and there's still probably too many men, and there's probably still too many men at the very highest levels of the organization. But we're sta- we're starting to see that more women being appointed, um, to to lots of positions higher in the up the up the ranks of a corporation, and as you said, you've had some of them on your podcast, so we're seeing some of it. There's still work to be done, but I think we're making good progress.
0: Yeah, and I think there's uh, I think we're making progress um, through the ranks in trucking. But you know, one of the things that, that made me feel real good last year is when we did that high school mathematics challenge. And there were so many uh, women in uh, math, or young young girls, young women in high school that were interested in mathematics and engineering and technology. And, and uh, you know, they viewed the project or the problem we gave them on trucking as exciting and interesting and, you know, electric trucks. And, you know, uh, traditionally, uh, you know, one, they they may not have been there. And then once given a trucking problem, they wouldn't have seen it, you know, for them. So that's really cool. Then the second area is around technology. So, you know, I know your background is in you know service and parts, and and uh, wow, you know, there's a lot of technology coming with you know the old parts catalogs and the service books and all that. I mean, they're all gone with you know uh, uh, you know 3D and video training and and and, and all kinds of um, you know really cool stuff, as well as you know the the trucks going to start telling the service organizations, hey, I'm I'm about ready to break down, get me in, sort of like somebody calling a doctor when they're sick. And then there's you know the electrification and hydrogen and automation. And so uh you know there's there's days where I think man we're not ready at all and this is gonna just steamroll us or we're gonna miss opportunities with new technologies. And other times I kind of think we're ready. From your from your kind of chair, Denise, how do you see the industry being ready for this? Um uh and and is is some of the technologies easier or harder?
1: yeah i th- I think it's a really exciting time to be in trucking. I think it's a really going to be an exciting time for for us to attract new people because we're we're doing stuff now that's cool right I mean that's perceived by other people as cool. Um, you know, we all—I always thought trucks were cool once I got into it. But you know, I think the electrification of trucking and and automation and and the use of technology in trucks and even you know the 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 electronics on a diesel engine—I think all of that stuff is is exciting for people. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot to take in, but we have some really bright minds. And and you know, to your point about uh, the STEM kids from the math modeling challenge, you know, we have young people who who were trying to get interested in and who are interested in it. And, you know, maybe the silver lining to COVID is that trucking, the, the image of trucking got raised in the minds of the general public. People realized how vital trucking is to the economy. And so I think this is like a perfect time for all of this, for, for us to tell the story of how we're helping the future, how trucking is going to help the future be greener which, again, is something that I think most people want to see. So I'm really excited about it. Will we miss some stuff? You know, will will there be some stumbles? Sure. I think all in all, we'll be in a great place. We are in a great place to uh, right now with all of what's going on.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, yeah, we're kind of running out of time. I, um, You know, if you're in communications or, uh, you know, even an executive or others that get, you know, in press conferences or, or deal with articles uh, – this time with Denise has gone fast. So I'd, I'd encourage you to listen again. <laughs> listen a second time. There's some really good thoughts um, that she brings to, to help you tell your stories better and get more value out of your communications. Uh, uh, you know, as as we kind of wrap up here, Denise, any um, any final thoughts or can you distill it down to a few things that, that would help us, you know, really, uh, whether we're a company or an individual, how, how can we tell how can we tell our own stories better? What's your sort of big points?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the you know in just a few words, be clear and be direct. You know, don't 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 try to. Paint something is perfect. Not, none of what we do is perfect. Right? So talk about the benefits of something and the challenges of it. And use language that's understandable by everybody. Um, so, And then, you know, don't be afraid to answer hard questions when you get asked those questions, uh, either by journalists or by other people in your, your constituency. That would be my big advice.
0: Great, great. That's really helpful. So thanks, thanks for being on the show, Denise. And um, it's truly an honor to have you on our team at NACSI, and best to you.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth & Friends.